0: Section five of Fairy and Folk Tales of the Irish Peasantry by William Butler Yeats. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Paddy Corcoran's Wife, William Carleton. Paddy Corcoran's wife was for several years afflicted with a kind of complaint which nobody could properly understand. She was sick and she was not sick, she was well and she was not well. She was as ladies wish to be who love their lords, and she was not as such ladies wish to be. In fact, nobody could tell what the matter with her was. She had a gnawing at the heart which came heavily upon her husband, for, with the help of God, a keener appetite than the same gnawing amounted to could not be met with of a summer's day. The poor woman was delicate beyond belief, and had no appetite at all. So she hadn't, barring a little relish for a mutton-chop, or a steak, or a bit of mate anyway for sure god help her she hadn't the least inclination for the dreary pratie or the dollop of sour buttermilk along with it especially as she was so poorly and indeed for a woman in her condition for sick as she was poor patty always was made to believe her in that condition but god's will be done she didn't care a pratie and a grain of salt was a welcome to her glory be to his name as the best roast and boiled that ever was dressed, and why not? There was one comfort, she wouldn't be long with him, long troubling him. It mattered little what she got, but sure she knew herself that from the dawn at her heart she could never do good without that little bit o' mate now and then, and sure if her own husband begrudged it to her, who else had she a better right to expect it from? Well, as we have said, she lay a bedridden invalid for long enough, trying doctors and quacks of all sorts, sexes and sizes, and all without a farthing's benefit, until, at the long run, poor Patty was nearly brought to the last pass, and striving to keep her in the bid-o'-mate. The seventh year was now on the point of closing, when, one harvest-day, as she lay bemoaning her hard condition, on her bed beyond the kitchen fire, a little wishy woman dressed in a neat red cloak comes in and setting down by the hearth, says, Well, Kitty Corcoran, you've had a long layer of it there on the broad of your back for seven years, and you're just as far from being cured as ever. Mavron, I said the other, in troth that's what I was this minute thinking of, and a sorrowful thought it's to me. It's your own fault then, says the little woman, and indeed, for that matter, it's your fault that ever you were there at all. "'Ara, how is that?' asked Kitty. "'Sure, I wouldn't be here if I could help it. "'Do you think it's a comfort or a pleasure to me to be sick and bedridden?' "'No,' said the other, "'I do not. "'But I'll tell you the truth. "'For the last seven years you have been annoying us. "'I am one of the good people, and as I have a regard for you, "'I've come to let you know the reason why you've been sick so long as you are. "'For all the time you've been ill, if you'll take the trouble to remember— your children throw thrown out your dirty water after dusk and before sunrise, at the very time we're passing your door, which we pass twice a day. Now, if you avoid this, if you throw it out in a different place, and at a different time, the complaints you have will lave you. So will the non at the heart, and you'll be as well as ever you were. If you don't follow this advice, why, remain as you are, and all the ardo man can't cure you.' She then bade her good-bye, and disappeared. Kitty, who was glad to be cured on such easy terms, immediately complied with the injunction of the fairy, and the consequence was, that the next day she found herself in as good a health as ever she enjoyed during her life. Cushin Loo, translated from the Irish by J. J. Callanan, This song is supposed to have been sung by a young bride who was forcibly detained in one of those forts which are so common in Ireland, and to which the good people are very fond of resorting. Under pretense of hushing her child to rest, she retired to the outside margin of the fort, and addressed the brethren of her song to a young woman whom she saw at a short distance, and whom she requested to inform her husband of her condition, and to desire him to bring the steel knife to dissolve the enchantment. Sleep my child for the rustling trees, Stirred by the breath of summer breeze, And fairy songs of sweetest note, Around us gently float. Sleep, for the weeping flowers have shed, Their fragrant tears upon thy head. The voice of love hath soothed thy rest, And thy pillow is a mother's breast. Sleep, my child. Weary hath passed the time forlorn, Since to your mansion I was born, Though bright the feast of its airy halls, And the voice of mirth resounds from its walls. Sleep, my child. Full many a maid and blooming bride Within that splendid dome abide, And many a hoar and shrivelled sage, And many a matron bowed with age. Sleep, my child. O thou who hearest this song of fear, To the mourner's home these tidings bear, Bid him bring the knife of the magic blade, At whose lightning flash the charm will fade. Sleep, my child. Haste for to-morrow's sun will see The hateful spell renewed for me nor can I from that home depart, till life shall leave my withering heart. Sleep, my child, sleep, my child, for the rustling trees stirred by the breath of summer breeze, and fairy songs of sweetest note around us gently float. The White Trout, A Legend of Kong by S. Lover There was once upon a time, long ago, a beautiful lady that lived in a castle upon the lake beyond, and they say she was promised to a king's son, and they were to be married, when all of a sudden he was murthered, the crather, Lord help us, and thrown into the lake above, and so, of course, he couldn't keep his promise to the fair lady, and more's the pity. Well the story goes that she went out of her mind, because of losing the king's son, for she was tender hearted God help her, like the rest of us, and pined away after him until at last no one about seen her, good or bad, and the story went that the fairies took her away. Well, sir, in course o' time, the white throut, God bless it, was seen in the stream beyond, and sure the people didn't know what to think of the crater, seeing as how a white throut was never heard of before, nor since, and years upon years the throut was there, just where you seen at this blessed minute, longer nor I can tell, I, troth, and beyond the memory of the oldest in the village, at last the people began to think it must be a fairy, for what else could it be? And no hurt or harm was ever put on the white trout until some wicked sinners of soldiers came to these parts, and laughed at all the people, and jibed and jeered them for thinking o the likes, and one of them in particular—bad luck to him, God forgive me for saying it—swore he'd catch the trout and eat it for his dinner, the blackguard. Well, what do you think of the villainy of the soldier? sure enough he cotched the throut and away wid him home and puts it in the fryin pan and into it he pitches the purty little thing the throut squealed all as one as a christian creature, and my dear you'd think the soldier'd split his sides laughing for he was a hardened villain and when he thought one side was done he turns it over to fry the other and what would you think but the devil a taste of a burn was on it at all at all and sure the soldier thought it was a queer throut that could not be broiled "'But,' says he, I'll give it another turn by and by, little thinking what was in store for him, the haven. Well, when he thought that side was done, he turns it again, and lo and behold you, the devil of a taste more done that side was, nor the other. Bad luck to me, says the soldier, but that bates the world, says he. But I'll try you again, my darlint, says he, as cunning as you think yourself. And so with that he turns it over and over, but not a sign of the fire was on the purty throat well says the desperate villain for sure sir only he was a desperate villain entirely he might know he was doing a wrong thing seeing as all his endeavours were no good well says he my jolly little trout. maybe you're fried enough though you don't seem to be over well dressed but you may be better than you look like a singed cat and a tit-bit after all says he and with that he ups with his knife and fork to taste a piece of the trout. "'But, my Jewel, the minute he puts his knife into the fish, there was a murtherin' screech, "'and you'd think the life would leave you if you heard it, "'and away jumps the throat out of the frying-pan and into the middle of the fleur, "'and in the spot where it fell up rose a lovely lady, "'the beautifulest creature that I's ever seen, dressed in white, "'and a band of gold in her hair, and a stream of blood running down her arm. "'Look where you cut me, you villain,' says she, and she held out her arm to him, and, my dear, he thought the sight lave his eyes. Couldn't you lave me cool and comfortable in the river where you snared me and not disturb me in my duty, says she? Well, he trembled like a dog in a wet sack, and at last he stammered out something and begged for his life, and asked her ladyship's pardon, and said he didn't know she was on duty, or he was too good a soldier not to know better nor to meddle with her. "'I was on duty then,' says the lady. "'I was watchin' for my true love that is comin' to water to me,' says she. "'And if he comes while I'm away, and that I miss of him, I'll turn you into a pinkeen and hunt you up and down for evermore while the grass grows or water runs.' "'Well, the soldier thought the life had lave him at the thoughts of his being turned into a pinkeen, and begged for mercy. And with that,' says the lady, renounce your evil course says she you villain or you'll repent it too late be a good man for the future and go to your duty regular and now says she take me back and put me into the river again where you found me oh my lady says the soldier how could i have the heart to drown the beautiful lady like you but before he could say another word the lady was vanished and there he saw the little trout on the ground well, he put it in a clean plate, and away he runs for the bare life, for fear her lover would come while she was away, and he run, and he run, even till he came to the cave again, and threw the trout into the river. The minute he did it, the water was as red as blood for a little while, by raisin of the cut, I suppose, until the stream washed the stain away, and to this day there's a little red mark on the trout's side where it was cut. Well, sir, from that day out the soldier was an altered man, and reformed his ways, and went to his duty regular, and fasted three times a week, though it was never fish he took on fastin' days, for after the fright he got fish should never rest in his stomach, save in your presence. But anyhow, he was an altered man, as I said before, and in course o' time he left the army, and turned hermit at last, and they say he used to pray evermore for the soul of the white trout. These trout stories are common all over Ireland. Many holy wells are haunted by such blessed trout. There is a trout in a well on the border of Loughgill, Sligo, that some paganish person put once on the gridiron. It carries the marks to this day. Long ago the saint who sanctified the well put that trout there. Nowadays it is only visible to the pious, who have done due penance. End section 5